0: This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi.
1: And I'm Jacob Young.
0: On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business.
1: So Paul, next thing you talk about is maintaining consistency, and I have to say that this one strikes a bit of a chord for me because every, almost every blog I've ever gone to or been interested in at some point has had a post that starts out sorry, I have not vlogged in a while. Right. And it just seems like consistency is a major problem.
0: Well, it is. I mean, it's a lot of work. You know, we're doing some active social things for several clients right now. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. It never stops. It is something that you have to consistently do every day. You know, if, if you think about it, you know, you go to work, if you, you have a job and you go to work, and if you try to start dressing like a slob, your boss is going to say something or maybe you just get fired right the performance suffers or your perception of you is going to be different Mm -hmm. and it is relentless you have to do that every day yeah because they're paying you money to do something for them yeah the same thing goes for the web and and all this this internet and social media stuff you can't just do a little bit of it there's a voracious appetite for information out there and if you're not part of that that clamor Yeah. You know, for lack of a better word, you will be forgotten. Because something else will fill that space. Yeah. So if you want to be top of mind right there, you need to be coming up with an article, blog posts, uh, tweets, all these different things very consistently. And that consistency is on the order of like three blogs a week.
1: Yeah. And I would say that in some ways, it, it has to be an assessment of what's your capacity and then what can you maintain? And so right. if it is going to be the three blog posts, maybe they're not three blog posts or a thousand words each. Right. But they are blog posts of maybe a hundred words each that are consistently done. And those are the type of things that, that capture and maintain an audience right. for what you're doing.
0: You're right. I mean, if you if you turned on television and they had a repeat you know, of your show. Yeah. I saw that. I don't need that anymore. I'm going to turn it off. Sure. Or if you i mean i don't watch news on tv but if you if you watch the news and they turn it on and the person's all disheveled and the lighting's bad and the signal is bad and they talk about stuff that happened two weeks ago you're like i don't need this Uh, and my time's valuable yeah so that consistency and i also think there's a a consistency to design and layout and the way it looks yeah so that people can navigate it so that it feels the same right um that's that's significant
1: yeah, excellent. And so along the lines of how things look and feel, you go on to write about uh, using the right images. Right. So talk me through
0: that. You know, there's a lot of stock photography out there. Stock photography is basically a, a photographer goes out, takes a picture, and submits it to these catalogs and people using it. It's posed people in all these different scenarios. And there's expensive stock photography that looks pretty good, and mm-hmm. then there's bad stuff that looks really bad. Yeah and you shouldn't use it 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 adds no value to a site to have stock photography you can easily find very good sort of contextual pictures like mm-hmm. you know a a road or you know a, right. a, a train uh you know or something like that that evokes an emotion that you can use and stuff and there's great sources for things like that yeah there's some open source ones that are free and, sure
1: you can find those links at on the show notes for paulparisi.com. Yeah,
0: absolutely. But just to get three or four people standing around pointing at a computer is just not good. Yeah. Um, you will get so much better if you hire a reasonable photographer, uh, friend, or whatever to come in and take a decent picture. Yeah. Uh, you'll get more benefit from that than from using any stock photography. In fact, I'm at the point, well, I, I'm a little sensitive to it because I'm aware of stock and I can see it. I just like, is this company in business or what's the deal here? Yeah. We did one for a client that we did use a piece of stock photography. It took us a month to find it. Yeah. You know, it was a train car that, and it's a spectacular picture. Yeah. And I don't think you'd find it on a lot of websites. Yeah. Um, But that was stock. We actually tried to have somebody take some pictures and that didn't work out the way we wanted. But this was a spectacular picture and it looks great. But then the rest of the photography in it, you know, we wanted to have professional photography taken.
1: Well, and I think that, I mean, along those lines, you have to be very, very careful with your images because uh, you could get in a lot of trouble by just Google searching and using, I mean, we we had a client where we were doing um, a website and they said, use this picture. And it was up on the test website and I did a little bit of just like two minutes of searching and I was like, well guys, first off, this is a copyrighted image. And then secondly, uh, they were, they were doing industry work and I was like, This is a this is a plant that's in Iran. Don't know if that you want that right. association with your website. Right. And um it was very interesting to kind of recognize that, you know, most people would just grab a picture off Google image and they'll just throw it in and they can get sued. Like legitimately. Absolutely. It's a legal issue. Yeah,
0: it sure is. I mean, that's you know, having been a photographer myself, that is a creative work. Yeah. I mean, it's like writing a book. And uh, somebody using that, it's wrong. And it's uh it's very easy to prove that you're in the wrong because yeah, yeah. You, it's, it's a direct copy. Uh, so using the right images, critical, you know, absolutely critical. Yeah. I would, and I would say don't use stock photos.
1: Excellent. And along the lines then going back to some of the skeletal work of the website, the navigation mm-hmm. and the design of the website, talk us through uh, this chapter on navigation.
0: Sure. Well, navigation just, you know, we all use GPSs because we don't know how to get there and things change you know, the roads gets closed or there's, you know, we, we're using ways now because of traffic and all these different things. Well, your website shouldn't be difficult to navigate. Mm-hmm. It should be drop dead simple and you don't want to hide things under a lot of menus. So make the navigation simple, fairly flat. Now, if you're Samsung, that's going to be hard mm-hmm. because how do you approach Samsung? Am I looking for Samsung USA or am I looking for Samsung headquarters or are I looking for refrigerators? Right. That's a hard problem that most of our customers won't have. They may perceive they have that. Yeah. But you need to force them. You need to force yourself into thinking through it from a simple structure. Mm-hmm. You know, if you really have to say, I do wedding, birth, child, teenager, high school graduation photos, and those are all going to be menu items. Yeah. You're going to make, it's hard to choose that.
1: Right. You need to choose something like life moments.
0: Yes, exactly. And then maybe have a longer page that has a navigation at the top that says weddings and things like that. And it lets people experience your site without having to dig through it.
1: Yeah. Excellent. All right. So from navigation and figuring out the correct flow of a website Uh, and the images along those lines how do we how do we think about animation you have a chapter here on animation
0: sure well in the in the early web you know things moving around like gears or dots or you know uh, marquees or
1: gif or GIF. yeah all
0: all that kind of stuff you know there was all oh that's cool and they thought that would be interesting well we've learned that it's a little bit disturbing to have unexpected things move on a web page because you're processing it where your eye goes yeah by by the nature of who you are Mm -hmm. but now if you have something in your peripheral vision move you all of a sudden get distracted by that right so you now you're literally fighting for your viewers attention right so animation is not a good idea uh, in in any form or fashion
1: now would you include audio and Uh, in addition to video animation, audio in some ways. Well, yeah, I
0: I would never put audio on a website. Yeah. Uh, first of all, it could, uh, embarrass somebody. You know, it's, they're browsing in a, in a train or a restaurant and this music starts playing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, gee, close that. It may not be anything bad. Yeah. Um, but
1: I go to dictionary.com and somebody automatically starts talking to me about some word meaning. Right. And it drives me up the wall.
0: Right. So I do think that you want to be able to have people play it when it's appropriate. Okay. Now, what what a little bit of background is uh, Adobe came out with this technology, I don't know, probably 15 years ago now, called Flash. And what that was is a way to animate things on the web. Yeah. And it was revolutionary at the time. Steve Jobs didn't like it <laughs> for some reason. Okay. And decided he was not going to support Flash on the iPhone or on any ios devices oh wow and there was a lot of reasons for that not the biggest one the was security there was a lot of flash security holes and you could use it to do things that weren't good mm-hmm. uh, but that wasn't the primary reason he didn't like it and i honestly don't know what it is but i think it's actually quite technical okay uh, and why it doesn't works and doesn't work and it's a proprietary mechanism to do it mm-hmm. uh html5 was not ratified at the time it was coming out and it had the ability to do everything that flash did okay so there are ways if you want to make an animation in html5 unfortunately there's not a lot of tools to do it yet okay so if you absolutely and you might let's say you have a uh, a product and you want an uh an animation of it that uh or maybe even like let's say you have a map and you want to show how the little car drives across the map. And, right. You know, just that's your ad or whatever. You didn't want to do a video, but you want to actually animate pieces of right. it. Right. You would want to do that in HTML5. If you do it in Flash, which people are still doing, and they people open it up on a browser, Google Chrome, it won't play. Gotcha. If you open it up on a iOS device, an iPhone or an iPad, it won't play. So now you have lost all of the investment in right. that. And so and if you have things that are currently flash, you need to seriously take them down. Yeah. Because if they open it up there's going to be a box there this is this requires a plug in. Gotcha. And um
1: and then they have to go download it and yeah, it's confusing. And it does and
0: it's... it honestly downloading that could compromise your system because flash is that exploitable. Yeah. And so it annoys me some of the big companies that still have flash requirements. Sure, I run um, into it regularly. Well, I mean, YouTube is a good example. It requires flash. Now they're changing that. They're I believe like over the past week or so it's been they've finally moved over to completely HTML5. Oh, nice. So that's a big thing. Yeah. But animation isn't a generally good idea. You know, there used to be like, you know, you'd have a a horizontal bar that would have like a, a shine move on yeah. it. And that's just right not a great thing the only animations we really use are image sliders where we have a a banner image up at the top yeah that sits there for five or six seconds and then shifts to a new one yeah but even those a lot of people are saying that there isn't that's not really good yeah because depending on how much people sit there they may never see your first your second or third or fourth image yeah so
1: And I think that goes along the lines of what we're talking about with First Impressions. What exactly is your website for and what are you trying to do? Are you trying to be cutesy for people and give them a little fun experience? Or are you actually trying to communicate information and appeal to them for your business? So along those lines, what exactly do you mean with this uh, chapter on accessibility?
0: Well, you have to make sure that the site works with the technology that the people are using. There's two aspects to accessibility. One for handicap. So people that are not able to see or see it a good resolution, you want to make sure that you have accessibility parameters built in. So you want to have a picture that is of a train car, Mm -hmm. but you want to have alt text on that that says, you know, train shipping car. So that when a screen reader technology goes through that and reads that to a blind person, Mm -hmm. it will say image of train car. Gotcha. Uh, so that's one huge aspect to accessibility. And it's very, it's often overlooked. Yeah. And the same thing where you have a, we were just working on a site yesterday where we have a drop down menu. And if you click on the menu item, it drops down, mm-hmm. but you can also click on the menu item and have it go to a page. Well, I said, you know, if we do that in the touch environment on an iPad or iPhone, How's the person going to know that that touch does two things? Yeah. So don't make it do that. Yeah. The When you click on that, the only thing it does is drop the menu down. Gotcha. And so that's really where accessibility is. And then making sure it works across browsers. One of the biggest banes of the Internet's existence has been the existence of Microsoft Internet Explorer 9. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even previous versions, because it did things differently. So we, as developers, had to always make these. But if it's Internet Explorer nine, do it this way. All oh, these wow. caveats. Yeah, yeah. And it was such a pain in developing applications, web applications, for broad yeah. use, because you'd you'd say you basically have to write the application, then you have to put all these ifs in. Mm-hmm. You know the way it dealt with. Um, Uh, the way the font size changes or whatever it might be sure a box model or things like that thankfully we can pretty much abandon that now the number of people that are using ie9 you know there's even in a lot of the uh, platforms there's a a piece of code that will say if you're viewing the site on ie9 it may not work download a more modern browser (laughs) please join the modern (laughs) world (laughs) well yeah i don't know why people would insist on not doing that um And I don't think they realize it, you know, but.
1: Excellent. Well, Paul, thank you for talking us through the first part, two parts of your book, uh, 24 Must Haves for your website or 24 Website Must Haves. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the second part of Paul's ebook, 24 Website Must Haves. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at saviorlabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with Copious Amounts of Coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com.